The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Mark 6, 30-44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Then he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat? And they said to to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, he said, five five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I didn't see any of you there, but maybe you were. I took our family yesterday to uh, see the Harlem Globetrotters downtown. Don't know if you've done that before. If you're not familiar with the Harlem Globetrotters, it's basically, I saw them when I was a kid, and it is the exact same show. Uh, It was kind of amazing, really. I was like, I think I remember all of that. Uh, And essentially, it's uh, a basketball team uh, who uh, does a good job of acting. And uh, yet, they're really these incredible, they hold like 21 Guinness Book of World Records, of shots and such. It's just this incredible, like, acrobatics and whatnot. It's kind of crazy. And, uh, and so they play against the same team, the Washington Generals. My son was asking me, he was like, so the Generals ever win? And uh, I, I don't know, I felt kind of bad saying, I don't know if they do, uh, over and over and over. And, um, but the, the most exciting part wasn't actually the Globetrotters. It was when everybody was trying to leave. We parked in the Music City Center downtown. Never had this problem before. Parked there a lot. Uh, we got in our car, began to pull out, and would sit there for probably an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, yes, welcome to Nashville. If you moved here, there are a lot of people. Uh, we were trying to get out, and, you know, it was one of those, it had to be from, like, a TV show. I mean, it was just hilarious at moments, angering, you know, kids in the back, it, just the whole thing, like, everything you can think of that was not good about it. So I just 
decided, I was like, I, I gotta walk around. So I put it in park and I jump out and Megan's like, okay. So I start walking like the whole parking garage and she's like, maybe you go talk to somebody up front. Oh, there's gotta be somebody up there. Maybe they don't know how to. So I walk all, I'm just kind of walking by cars and I'm just noticing like, what are people doing? You know, some have like kicked their seat back. They're like asleep. Some are actually looking, you know, of course, you got your phone, which helps. Some are just seething. Some have turned up their music so loud that, like, they're just, you know, the windows are shaking. Um, I walk to the very front, and there are people going out, you know, and, of course, there are the people that pull up, and maybe this is you, no offense, but you're pulling up to the thing, and you're like, the ticket, which way does it go? And they turn it, like, seven ways before they put it in where the barcode's up, you know? And so I found myself even helping people, like, can I help put your credit card in? Yeah, thank you. You know, I literally was. And Megan was like, go, go, State, this is awesome, you know. I mean, forever. And the question kept coming up, and, and Megan said it beautifully. She's like, who is leading us here? Who is leading us? Like, where are people going? Why are they stopping? Why is this row going and no one else? Why is nobody leading us? And I think it's a great question because we live in a culture that asks that question over and over. That, that's actually what this passage was about. Now, it's an interesting passage. We don't use the, the language of sheep and shepherd often because we don't live necessarily in that kind of culture. But we do use a lot of the same ideas of who is leading us. And typically, the avenue in which it comes through is success. Who is leading us to success? Now, it could be a financial advisor. Could it be an academic advisor if you're a student here? could be a boss. It could be you yourself as the CEO of maybe your company. And you're thinking, how do I lead people? But where do I go next? What's next for me? How, who is lead? There's always somebody above us that we're asking, where am I being led? And how does success look? How does it look like? And, and oftentimes in our culture, and as you see here, the people are wandering. They are looking for somebody to lead them. And Jesus has compassion on them. But what we typically understand, and the reason why it's so drawn out that Jesus has compassion on these people, is that they didn't experience it anywhere. They may have experienced pity or annoyance because they needed things. And I would say that's very similar to what we live in. We live in a very merit-based culture where when compassion comes up against what we need to do or be in our success, it doesn't mix well. In fact, compassion oftentimes in our culture can seem like, oh, you're kind of one of those needy people. You don't really, you shouldn't really be in this position then. You can't lead. You can't have a relationship. You can't be with the, you're one of those people. It comes across more as pity rather than compassion. It comes across as, well, kind of what we see a lot of people as in our lives. But the Bible does something different here for us. It's saying it actually is to go together. And here's what's interesting. I remember sitting with a woman some time ago and her telling me as I was explaining about the Bible, the gospel, what, what is the good news of Jesus? And she was, we were at that point, we were talking about, you know, and, and we're actually looking at the parable of the prodigal son. This famous parable, that if you're unfamiliar, that these two sons, and one in particular goes and takes the money of the father and leaves, and then he comes back, and, and the father embraces him and welcomes him back into the home. And that is the point in which this woman had the hardest time. She says, that doesn't work. 
Like, it's okay that he could come back, but he can't be embraced like that. That kind of compassion doesn't fit with our world. Like, that doesn't work. You can't do that. And I would venture that as much as she was being honest, and I really appreciated her candid heart, that we would be, feel the same. It would be so simple for us to come and say, what a great passage. This is somewhat maybe familiar to many of you. Even some, some common quips have come from this where the feeding of the masses, you know, those kind of phrases that Jesus feeds, there's something far beyond that happening here. That compassion and leadership, who is leading us? Who are we really following that's actually supplying both compassion and care and building us up as people? And that we need to understand comes against and transforms us in this. Two things about this shepherd that we're supposed to see. There's a massive contrast here. The compassion and the food of the shepherd. Just two things. The compassion of the shepherd and the food of the shepherd. Food is really more of a metaphor for teaching, but that's what the Bible, I'd say it works well for us in our food-based culture. (laughs) That what are we taking in? What are we feeding on? The compassion of the shepherd is really how he treats the sheep. And this is where I think the candid heart of this woman was so true. Can we really have someone lead us that is compassionate? Or is it like sitting in a parking garage and it's just all frustration? It is mayhem. It is anger. And when you leave, it's finally like, yes, success, I'm free. Is that really what there's, that's happening there? It's interesting because this passage says this. The apostles, they returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So they've been working. And now it's time that even Jesus suggests, you need to take a break. Let's take a break. Let's rest. But as they go to this place to rest, this crowd sees them and essentially runs around the whole lake where they're taking a boat across and meets them to the other side. So imagine they're in a boat, they're thinking, gosh, it's going to be so nice to just have a break, right? You know how it is. So nice to have rest and vacation. You get to that beach resort, you get to that mountain hideaway, and all of a sudden your phone goes crazy with a crisis. There they are on the beach. Who knows how many other than the 5,000 men, that's just men counted, there may have been far more than that. Just lining the beach, welcoming party, hey, your work's not done yet. And you can imagine the disciples, and in their way, it doesn't say, but they're kind of like, oh man, I thought we were going to get this time. And Jesus has this reaction, verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. There's a reason that this is so written in there, that Jesus, and it's actually taken even in the Gospel of Matthew as well, that Jesus had compassion. It is to put in contrast to the shepherds that were around him. The word shepherd in this culture wasn't just used of people that were in religious circles. It was actually used a Greco-Roman word that was used to talk about any ruler at all. So when they talked about shepherds, they're saying they were exhausted. Right before this passage, it talked about the people, Herod, the king at the time, and the way that he treated the people. In fact, he, right before this, murders one of the greatest shepherds, John the Baptist, of the people. He kills them just for his own pleasure and what he needs. 
Right after this come other shepherds, the Pharisees, who would be considered religious shepherds that should be guiding the people, teaching them, giving them nourishment. But instead of compassion, it was more of that pity that we feel. Like, oh man, they're just not keeping up. Come on, come on. That's what we typically think. But Jesus says something different here. He has compassion. He said he literally saw their lack of guidance. That's what it means. He saw it and he cared for them. He walked into it. I, I recently listened to a TED Talk on something that was really interesting. It was called um, Compassion Fatigue Awareness. Have you ever heard of this? It's actually a real, a massive thing. And this woman was talking about Compassion Fatigue Awareness Project that she's created. It, it started, actually, it came out of the Vietnam War where um, men on the battlefield were seeing their compadres being pulled off the field and over time they recognized what was happening within themselves instead of being sad by it they encountered their own like sadness and tragedy and could not any longer feel compassion towards it they just turned inward and began to crumble essentially you feel this maybe on on a day-to-day basis we live in a city where you can pull up to a stoplight And any number of stoplights in this city where someone may be selling a paper or something else. And you find yourself pulling up and depending on what may be in your wallet or what you're feeling that day, you see that person on the side and you typically kind of have this, I'm going to, if you have sunglasses on, you may be glad and you're looking straight forward. You don't want to look at that person because if you do, it means you have to encounter what's really going on for that moment. See, when we have pity, but We may not have compassion acts towards. So what they're talking about in this fatigue awareness thing, which is interesting, think how many fundraisers happen week to week in Nashville, Tennessee. Nearly every weekend is taken up with one. It doesn't mean they're not good. What it does mean is that we start doing them so much, and here are some of the things about it. Compassion awareness, uh, compassion fatigue awareness involves this, isolation, apathy, sometimes addiction because we begin to look at those around us and we may see them as someone is in need but we can't connect any longer our need to theirs because we no longer see their need we only see ours and it it was fascinating the the healing here's where the, the ted talk went it began to talk about the healing must happen inside you must have compassion towards yourself But this passage and others are saying, you can't have enough compassion. Look at the disciples. They saw, and when the disciples, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, an hour's late. Let's send them away. It's not like they're being mean. He's just saying, hey, they got to go eat. We've done this enough. They start, you start to see this. This isn't a new thing from Vietnam. This is something you see here. There's not a healing there. And if you look in the Bible, this is fascinating. <clears throat> if you look in the Bible, this compassion piece stretches all the way back to even in the beginning. In one of those books that maybe you skip over called Numbers, <laughs> has a lot of numbers in it. It ta- starts beginning to talk about a shepherd that comes with compassion. And it builds to a chapter in a, in a pro- prophetic book called Ezekiel. If you have a phone or a Bible, you can turn there, but I'm going to read a little bit from it. Listen to this. Ezekiel chapter 34, it's a prophecy. 
The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophecy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, and the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. This is what Jesus is getting at in this passage. This is what the people have experienced. Does that not even sound what, like what we experience? One reason we have compassion fatigue is we don't even know what it means to really receive compassion. The, the, the point of the good news of Jesus is to actually show you and remind you that he doesn't just show pity on you. This is not a normal thing. This isn't not, this is why that wonderful woman's heart of saying, this doesn't make sense, this doesn't work in the real world, is because we're so used to the meritocracy that we live in. And not just in our businesses, but all over. We're so used to measuring up that when we feel like we lack or don't measure up, we receive pity instead of real compassion, someone meeting us, someone dying with us in the moment. And that's what's lacking with these shepherds. This is, in Ezekiel 34, the beautiful description of what these people feel. They are following, they are running to the other side of the lake to meet Jesus and the apostles because they have not been bound up and they have been injured. They have been sick and not been healed. They have strayed and not been followed. And they have, they have been left out and they are hurting and wandering. When are we going to see that? As people of God, when are we going to experience the fact that Jesus' compassion for us is not like this? It's different. He shows himself as a different kind of shepherd, as someone who comes to take care of us, to meet us in the very need that we have. He doesn't look on you and say, you need to get stronger. I think it's a good template even here. Look at these things. Even when he says, the weak you have not strengthened. Let's just ask those questions. Where are you weak and feel like you can't be? Where are you vulnerable and you wish no one knew? Where are those places that you need to be weak and are afraid to at all? If you look up Forbes and other type articles right now, especially business magazines, this is a fascinating thing. They've been talking a lot about self-compassion. That's kind of a, a, a new push. What does it mean to be self-compassionate? To look at yourself, to encounter things where you lack, and to, to give yourself grace. I don't know about you, I think that's a great idea, but that is very difficult. Because when do you find the end of that? Especially if we live in this kind of culture that we do, we constantly feel like we're a burden. Isn't that what many of you have even mentioned to me when I've reached out to you? Is I don't want to be burdened. I know you're busy. One reason I want to talk about the care in our church is because you need to know, and I need to know it too. Some of you have been beautiful to ask me the question, hey, who, who really walks with you? 
I was just sitting with someone the other day and they were asking me that question. And right after that meeting, I thankfully said, this person. And I literally pointed at this person walking up because I had that meeting right after. I said, see, this person shepherds me. And they were like, oh, good, I'm so glad. When are we going to actually allow ourselves to say, we have burdens? The Bible acknowledges that. How hard is it to be in a church at all, especially a church, where you try and find friends and you try and find connections and you're trying to find relationships and no one really wants you to see or show you the fact that they have weakness? How, do you, how are we ever going to have friendships? And how are we ever going to have compassion on one another when we don't even experience it? See, Jesus comes in the weakness. He takes the burden. Other shepherds are going to say that to you. Jesus teaches us how to have compassion on one another because he comes and he becomes weak. He becomes frail. He becomes, as, as Dorothy Sayers, the great theologian said, hurtable. He takes it on. Where are you sick and need to be healed? Many of you in this room may be sick right now or have someone in your family that is. Some of you have talked to even this week about that. And, and, and it's easy sometimes for us to think healing means, okay, if I'm healed, that's when Jesus shows me his true love. I want to back it up and say his true love comes before that. His true love comes by his compassion in your sickness, not just you getting over it. It's him walking through your healing. He takes that on. He, he, he binds it up into himself. I don't know if you remember, it was kind of the beginning of this kind of era of business. Tom's Shoes, remember? I don't even know if people buy Tom's Shoes anymore because it's been such a big deal about how they, you know, it was kind of the first push of having a business that went global and, you know, you sell, you sell a pair of shoes, you give a pair of shoes away, Tom's Shoes. Blake McCoskey, he's from, uh, from Dallas, Texas, actually. He went to SMU. He was interviewed some time ago, asked about why he, he did that business. What was the point of it? And he did that business, he says, because when people understand what compassion is, it means they know they matter. That's a business. How, how do we show that we matter? Jesus comes to teach you, not by giving you free stuff. And that's the interesting thing about this passage, isn't it? It's the reversal. They're like, free food, this is awesome, because it would happen again. It was amazing. And many of the people there, and even the disciples themselves would miss it, the food for the real gift that is Christ himself. He doesn't just give free food, he gives himself. Where are you injured? Where are you vulnerable and need to be bound up? Jesus comes to your injuries. Where have you received abuse? Whether it may be deep abuse. Maybe you're from an abused background. And you live with your injury. What do you do with that? What kind of shepherds have you been around that have taught you what to do with your injury? This shepherd comes with compassion to move into your injury. To be injured. To know what that's like. And also teach us what compassion means to drive towards one another. If you've read this book Dan Allender wrote called Wounded Heart, it's on actually 
coming out of abuse and injury. He says, self-protection is, in essence, the commitment to never be hurt again, to never be powerless, betrayed, or ambivalent in the way we once were, protecting oneself and relying on one's own resources for self-preservation has seemed like the only reasonable way to live in a fallen world. He goes on to say, do I believe that God is a loving father who is committed to my deepest well-being, that he has the right to use everything that is for, is me for whatever purposes he deems best, and that surrendering my will and my life entirely to him will bring me the deepest joy and fulfillment I can know on this side of heaven. This is why God sends his son. This is why Christianity is distinct. This is why it's not just another mode of how do we do good things. Notice Jesus doesn't just teach them. It does say here, he says, and he taught them. And then he fed them food. He does do both. But what he does here is to show that he's safe. To show that it's not just some teaching that sends them away. See, he pursues them with compassion. He cares for them. He goes after them, and he, str- he goes after those that even stray that need to be brought back. All those that have been lost. And what is the food that he gives them? And I think this is where we, we, you have to drill down to know what you're taking in to understand that compassion. Because what would it be like to sit at Jesus? I would venture that many of us in this room, the Bible can often feel like a bag of potato chips. Maybe we laid out on the counter and we didn't close it tight enough. You know when you go back and maybe you've put something in the cupboard or something like that, cereal or, or chips, and you go back and you, you go, oh man, I didn't close it. And you take a bite to see if it's, and they're just, the chips are just like, they have that weird stale taste and you're like, maybe I can get past it. And you just can't. <laughs> the food that Jesus brings us, oftentimes if you're in that place, you may think that that's the food that he brings. Maybe, maybe that's it. But think about what he's giving here. I love that the contrast here. The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. By the way, apostles don't exist today. The apostles, that title was of those who did two things. One, they followed Jesus in his ministry, and two, they saw the resurrected Jesus. None of us have held that title. And yet they come back and say, here's what we've done and taught. And then they're faced with a problem. Hey, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they go, what are we going to do? They did all these cool things. They taught all these cool things. And they're like, well, I, I don't get it. What do we do? And Jesus is like, you feed them. How many loaves do you have? And then he begins to feed the people in this beautiful way. And there are not many places in the Bible where we get this follow-up to this discussion. And if you flip over to Mark chapter 8, there is a moment where you actually get to see the disciples go, what was that about? There are a few moments like that. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus has actually done it again. He's fed another large group of people. And now in verse 14, it says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. 
Wait a minute. Okay. They're in the boat, scene set. They've seen both the 5,000 and even 4,000 people fed. They're talking about, man, we forgot bread. And Jesus is right there. And what does Jesus do with it? He says, it's not just food. He says, beware. He doesn't say, well, get off the boat and go get some. He says, beware, watch out, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians. He's saying, watch out for the teaching that's going to show you that it's all on you. Be careful. He begins to teach them with the metaphor of food, being careful of unbelief. See, the teachings, even referring back to that Ezekiel passage, was on what? Who fed? What did other shepherds do? They feed themselves without feeding you. And those moments where you feel like you're eating stale chips, whether it's especially when you're coming to church or in other relationships where you feel like you're feeling that way, if you're eating stale food, it's not from Jesus. The gospel is refreshing. The gospel refreshes us. It teaches us not to do better. The teaching of the Pharisees and the Herodians was you need to do better. Be careful of that leaven. And this is where compassion butts heads with the meritocracy that we live in. I was reading this article in The Atlantic. Listen to this. The Atlantic, living in extreme meritocracy is exhausting. A society that glorifies metrics leaves little room for human imperfections. Listen to this. This is the very end summary. As much as America's workers need help, however, policies will only change if culture does too. A norm of constant performance reviews focuses people's energies not on structural reforms, but on the ups and downs of their individual ratings, scores, and tallies. It turns some into modern-day Pharisees, expecting perfection, despising failure, excusing nothing, and deepens the despair of those they scorn. You can't make no mistakes, one of the unemployed workers that I interviewed told. You've got to do everything perfect. You can't get into trouble. You can't do anything. You've got, to, you've got nobody to run to. In the final accounting, this unbalanced culture serves no one, not the ambitious corporate employees stifling his empathy in order to clamor over uh, co-workers, and certainly not the unemployed worker who ostracized by a society that judges him or her to be a failure. But doing something about this will demand more than a technical solution. It will require challenging, deep-rooted notions of what success is and more leverage on the side of workers as well as perhaps a measure of grace. That is the Atlantic talking about business. And here's the question, bringing up the, the idea of notions of what success is. Here's the root of it. The concept of what food we're taking in, what teaching, who are we following, who's leading us. Is it driving you to have a more successful family, business, children, picture of yourself than having a hard one that is difficult with sickness and vulnerability and in relationship with Christ? Do you value more the voices that are teaching you to have everything in order 
more than you do the one who has come to be hurtable, to die with you. Check that. Listen. Who are we following? Who is leading us? Because the food that Jesus brings is refreshing food. It doesn't go stale. And if you're eating stale food of teaching, you know that it's not from Him. Why do these people keep going back? Why do they run to the shore to the other side of the lake? It's because they're told over and over, it's not all on your shoulders. You aren't a burden. You aren't a burden. You aren't a burden. You're not pitiful. The one who says that to you makes himself more pitiful than any of us. True compassion is that he comes and he doesn't just say, you're pitiful, I'm going to meet your equal. It's going underneath you to care for those places. That teaches you. That's teaching. You want to know? Read the scripture. I I put Bibles in there for you to have. I put reading plans in the back. Not just for you to check off and feel that way. But we believe in the Bible. We believe that it is telling us something so profound that if we go back to it over and over, it's not about us being excited all the time. It's about it showing us the reality that He is our true food and true drink. That it is Christ being satisfied with this meal. Being deeply satisfied in the way that we eat from Him. And that we want others to eat from it too. And we want others to have it too. I I, I went not too long ago with a few of you in here to see Seinfeld. He came to speak at TPAC. And one of the things that he begins this whole show on that I love, he says, every town I go to, this is very Jerry Seinfeld, he says, every town I go to, people come up to me all the time, they go, you've got to eat at da-da-da-da-da. You know, everybody says that now. It's like, you gotta, kind of like, you've got to watch this show. You know, people do that with Netflix. You've got to watch da-da-da-da-da-da, you know. He's like, I hate that. <laughs> he goes, I hate it when people come up. And he, he, he always says, this is very Jerry. He, people come up and say, you've got to eat at this place. He's like, no, I don't. But if the meal is that good, don't we want to share that meal? Isn't that why we do that? We want others to experience what we experienced. If we experience the refreshing meal of the gospel, won't it do that? Won't it move us to share it? To share it with those who don't know it? If you're in here too, and maybe you don't, or maybe it's something you've kind of pushed away, maybe it's been stale. This is the greatest example of that. This meal right in front of you is the fact that there is a good shepherd that lays his life down for the sheep. That's a weird thing. If you were in this culture and you said the shepherd laid the life down for the sheep, that's pretty extreme. But they put themselves in position to do that, to care for the sheep, to bring them in. Listen again to the end of Ezekiel. 34 says this, Therefore thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. And as for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between the sheep and sheep. And he also says this, I will rescue my flock 
They shall no longer be prey. I will judge between the sheep and the sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them, and they shall be, and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be a prince among them. By this time this was written, David had died. They were looking for someone to come. They were looking for someone who would shepherd them. If you want to understand real compassion, you come to this table and let yourself taste compassion on you. Don't come to this table for pity, pity on Jesus, or pity on yourself. Come to this table because you want to experience the compassion through the food that he gives you, that transforms you. This is his teaching. You find it in what we call the word and sacrament, the scripture, the Bible. And if you need help reading it and talking about it, please, please talk to me. Because that is where we find it. And you taste it through this. Tangible compassion on you and on me. Well, let's come to the Lord now.